You're about to hear a Lord's Day sermon that was preached at Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. This sermon comes from a series called That You May Believe. In this series, we take a long journey through the gospel according to John to discover who Jesus is and why it matters. We hope you enjoy this audio. Verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, welcome. My name's Sam. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Sacred City. Today uh, reminds me that we're a small church and the fact that I'm pulling triple duty here. Uh, Not always do I play the keyboard, but I got to fill in today and it was kind of a great time. Uh, And then scripture reading in this. So I'm excited now to to bring the word of the Lord to you today. Let's go before the Lord and seek him and his guidance as we open up our scriptures together. Father, Father, we thank you for who you are, that you've called us into this place this morning. We, We... We would not be here if not for you. You've given us breath in our lungs. You've given us the capacity uh, to come here, to be here. And you, Lord, are doing a good work in which we are participating in simply by being amongst the saints, worshiping the creator of the cosmos and the redeemer of all souls who put their trust in Christ Jesus. We thank you, God, for what you're doing here. We pray that you'd be with us this morning as we open up the text, that your spirit would speak clearly to us, that our ears would be unstopped, our hearts would be soft to receive your truth. As I preach today, help me, um, a weak, a fallible man, Lord, guard my tongue from, from speaking falsehood, that I may speak only the truth and nothing but the truth, that you would be glorified, that you would sanctify your bride here this morning and bring us uh, to a greater degree of glory through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Well, if, if you are um, just joining us, we're glad you're with us. Uh, but we've been going through the gospel of John for the last few months. Uh, and, and today, it's, it's a really exciting passage. It's been a, a passage that has really ministered to my soul quite a bit. Uh, this week. So um, let, me, let me start this by asking this question. Have you ever had a moment 
where you looked at the situation, you looked at what's in front of you, and you said, I don't know how this is going to work. You're looking at the budget, and you're saying, okay, our outgoing is much bigger than our incoming. We've got a bill that's due. We've got this going on. Maybe you've got a project at work. You're short on manpower. You're short on resources. How are we going to make this thing work? When, when we have a demand that outpaces our supply, we often wonder this question. It's a very common feeling, right? We're wondering, how is this thing going to come together? Now, this feeling that we have, this, this is really an experience of scarcity, that we experience because of Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, sin entered in the world. Um, before that point, there was abundance. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, and they had a super abundance. They had everything that they needed right there at their fingertips. All they had to do is go and get it. And when rebellion came into the world, when Adam and Eve took the fruit that the serpent tempted them to take, rebelled against God, who is the giver of good gifts, they found themselves in a place where they were not uh, having access to all of the benefits and blessings that the Lord had provided for them in the Garden of Eden. There's, there's new challenge. Scarcity now gets introduced. And this always happens. Whenever we rebel against the giver, we oftentimes lose the good gifts that God desires to give us. And, and what now we deal with is, is lack, a sense of lack or poverty. And this manifests in, in a lifelong chase for enough. We're always looking for what we need. We're always chasing, always working, always striving. And, and then we say, hello, anxiety. Because we're worried about where's this going to come from? How's this going to come together? How's this going to stack up? Now, this isn't just a financial experience, um, not just a physical resource experience. This also happens in a lot of other abilities and situations as well. It applies to our abilities. Do I have what it takes to be a godly parent? to raise my children up in the fear and admonition in the Lord? Do I have what it takes to raise my kids right? Do I have what it takes to live all of life to the glory of Jesus Christ, who is my Lord and Savior, living as a family of missionary servants, growing in the gospel, making disciples? Right? Do I have what it takes? Do I have the energy to invest in people? Do I, do I have the skill to do this? And I even think of a larger setting with the church. Our mission at Sacred City Church is to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. And sometimes, I'm just going to level with you, I look at the church and say, how are we going to do that? How is it that this, I love you guys, but how are we, we're all a bunch of misfits in some regard, how are we going to pile together all of our resources to chase after, to pursue this lofty goal that God has called us into to disciple the nations? to make Jesus known, to renew the Quad Cities. So the supply oftentimes is lesser than the demand. The, the calling outpaces what we have right here at our fingertips. And what we see in John chapter 6 here is a very similar moment. We see a moment of big-time need and small-time resources. And what we see unfold here as Jesus is operating as Lord of the earth, it not only shows us a picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like, 
It not only shows us what this, this superabundance will look like in the kingdom of heaven where God has restored the scarcity, the lack, the poverty that we experience in, in various facets of life, how God has worked to restore these things and bring us to a place of abundance, but this also shows us today what it looks like in real time to live as if the kingdom of heaven is really here and really advancing. So it gives us a picture of the kingdom and it helps us to live as if it's true right now. So if you will, with me, open your Bibles, if you haven't done so already, to John chapter six. And we'll take a look here. Now we came off John chapter five, which I think is probably the most theologically dense passage that I've ever dealt with, I've ever preached through. Uh, and now we kind of, things get a little more simplified here in this uh, experience. Jesus went from having a very combative uh, confrontation with the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, and now he heads up north. He, it's quite a distance. It's a very long track, uh, trek up north uh, past the Sea of Galilee, and we see this here in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down with his Disciples. So what we have here, Jesus has migrated from Jerusalem, which is the center of, of Israel. That's where all the, the incredible stuff happens. And, and Jesus has moved away from the hostility of the Pharisees, and he's going to a place that uh, up by Capernaum, where his ministry started, which people were pretty receptive of Jesus. They wanted to hear about this Messiah, this, this uh, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus goes back up there, and he's preaching, and he's teaching, and we don't know exactly how much time goes by, but in his migration up north, Jesus goes, and he finds that a ton of people are starting to follow him along the way. Um, and we're not just talking like people are following him on, on social media, right, hitting that subscribe button on YouTube. People are actually physically following Jesus, and it's no small task. It's, it's a long distance. He's traveled, and it's uphill, going up a, a mountain. People are, are attracted to, there's this gravitational pull that Jesus has, and people just want to come and see what Jesus is all about. Now, one interesting thing I see in this passage that, that I, I don't know if I've ever noticed before until this week. But as I sat and, and looked at this passage, we see this, this crowd. Uh, just picture this. Jesus is sitting up at the top of this mountain with his disciples. And he looks out and he sees this massive crowd that's starting to form and make their way to him. And Jesus looks up and he sees the mob of people coming. And he feels a sense of responsibility for them. He, he apparently these people who are coming to Jesus were so intrigued with what Jesus was about, what he was preaching about, who he was, the healings. In fact, that's what, what it says. It's, it's because of his healings, the miracles that he was doing that attracted people to him. It's really out of the norm. They're all drawn to him. And, and in this attraction, they forget to pack food. They forget snacks, which in my house, if you're going on a road trip and forget snacks, it is a very unpleasant thing, all right? But these guys, they all forget snacks. They forget to pack dinner. And Jesus is recognizing it's dinner time. These people are coming. It's dinner time. They don't have food. We don't have food. What are we to do? Now, if, if I were Jesus, and this is why Je I'm not Jesus, just to get that clear. I, though I'm a pastor, I am not Jesus. If I were Jesus in that moment, I'd look at it as like, stinks to be them. Should have planned ahead. In fact, do you think this would be a good opportunity for Jesus to give a little lecture about being prepared, right? Having those MREs handy, 
packing those snacks, knowing what you're doing. And there's something to be said about that. There's some, some good in about being prepared and being ready and all of those things, but Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus instead takes responsibility for their lack and he has this impulse to deal with their need, to, to, to step into their need, uh, this moment of need that they have. So here, here's what happens. Verse five, lifting up his eyes then, he, seeing the large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, Jesus turns to Philip, one of his disciples, and says, hey, we've got all these people coming. We, we've got this responsibility. I, I, Jesus says, I, I sense a responsibility to take care of them. What are we going to do? There, there's no store around. There's no restaurants. DoorDash has not yet been invented. And they are in trouble. And, and Philip assesses the situation, knowing that there's no stores, and just says this in verse 7. He says to Jesus, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. What he's saying here, roughly speaking, this, this amount, 200 denarii, would be close to about a year's wages. He's saying to Jesus, even if we had the money, even if there was a store nearby, a whole year's of wages would not be enough to even put a little morsel in their mouth. We just, we don't have what it takes to feed these people. After all, we'll see, and depending on what scholar you, you talk to um, or read, uh, you're dealing with about anywhere from 15 to 25,000 people at this point. Like we're talking about a whole town, multiple towns following Jesus up this hillside. And so Philip you know, he, he's a realist. He assesses the situation, says, man, it's just, there's no way to make these ends meet. Like, there's, there's no place. There's no money. How are we going to do it? It's impossible. Now, as, as um, Jesus is asking Philip, um, Andrew, who's Simon's brother, um, who has a little bit of Simon's DNA in him. Simon always, or Peter wants to always do the right thing. He wants to, like, prove himself to be, like, this, this real smart, um, ingenuitive sort of type of guy. Uh, so Jesus, Andrew has this as well. And while, while Jesus is talking to Philip, Andrew is busy trying to problem solve. Like he, he's, he say, realizes, ah, we don't have a store nearby, but maybe people have actually packed something. And, and he goes around, he's asking people. And, and what he turns up with is a little kid with five barley loaves and two fish. This is basically a Lunchable, folks. Like it, it might sound like a lot, it's not. These, these are little tiny cakes that, in fact, they're not just a, a small amount of food. Actually, barley cakes would, would have been something that the, the lower class would be eating. It's, it's a, a, me, a, meagly, a, a measly, meager meal for poor people. That's what this, ha this kid has. And so both Philip and Andrew, they assess the situation. They see the demand is much higher than our supply. There's no way that this can happen. This, in fact, is, is an impossibility. Now, back in verse six, we're told that this whole conversation is by design. Jesus is testing his disciples. He, he already knows what he's gonna do, but he asks the disciples these questions. How are we gonna take care of these people? How are we going to feed them? Jesus, I think, is testing these disciples to see if they have yet developed the instinct to turn to Jesus when faced with the impossible. Jesus is looking to see, hey, you guys have seen me do miracles. You've seen me heal sick people. You've seen me restore sight to the blind. Uh, people can walk. You've seen me turn water into wine. You've seen me do all kinds of crazy, unbelievable, miraculous things. Have you gained this impulse 
that goes to Jesus with, with the impossible, that goes to Jesus in the time of need. Now, let me just pause here and ask. Because if it's true that there's a common experience among all of us, it's just part of the human, human course of life, is that at some point we deal with scarcity. At some point we deal with um, our situation looking bleak and dire and, and the impossible seems like it's before us. If you are in a place right now like that, might it be that the Lord is testing you? Might it be that Jesus is provoking you in a way to see what your, what your uh, pathway forward is going to be? He's trying to see, like, when you've, we've realized that no matter how, much, how you've crunched the numbers, no matter how you've arranged your time, no matter what podcast you've listened to, no matter how you've restructured your family life or all of these other things, no matter what you've done, you still come to the place where there is something that is required of me that I don't have what it takes. And Jesus is wondering, are you going to come to me or are you going to continue to fret about it? Are you going to come to me or are you going to rely on yourself? It might become... Uh, it might be in, in the realm of homeschool. I know a lot of people in this church are, are homeschooling this year, some for the very first time. And you look at the task, how am I gonna do this? I don't know, I don't have the time. It's so much work, it's, it's hard. Am I gonna do right by my kids to give them the kind of education that they need? Do I have what it takes? It might be finances. Maybe you're in the midst of a job and it's just really challenging and you're pressing through and you're, you're, you feel like you're between a rock and a hard place. What's gonna happen? Maybe it's your marriage, relationships in general. Now, I personally, more and more, am becoming aware of my need, of my insufficiencies, my, my deficit, really on all fronts, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a mission community leader. I mean, you go through it all. Like, I, I find myself in a place where, how am I going to have the energy to do this? How am I, am I going to have the right skills to do this? Like, how, how am I going to honor the Lord and the things that he's put on my plate? And it's just, just like... How's this going to come together? Now, if, if you're in the same boat as Philip and Andrew, if you're in the place where you're thinking, there's no way, the situation's too dire, maybe this is a test then. Are you going to resign to the impossible, thinking that the natural limits, is, if there are natural limits, it's all said and done. Right, not enough money, all said and done. That's it. I guess it's a wrap. Bankruptcy. You know? Are you going to resign with your natural limits in view, or are you going to look to Jesus with whom all things are possible? Are you going to rely on yourself, your strength, your energy, your knowledge, your skill? Or are you going to turn to Jesus and what he provides, his ability, his strength, his energy, his provisions to meet your needs? Now, there are times where you think, listen, here's what I need, but, but what you think are your needs are not actually your needs. There will be times where you pray and ask the Lord for something that he doesn't necessarily deliver the way you think he does, but Jesus will not abandon you, will not forsake you. He will give you exactly what he needs according to his will, his w wisdom. But even those moments where we don't exactly know what it is we need, are you going to rely on yourself or turn to Jesus? Now, this, this question is presented to us on a daily basis. I mean, 
like almost every waking moment of the day. Mom, dad, are you, are you going to step in this discipleship moment, this, this discipline that you need to, to lead your ch- child in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Are you going to step in that in the flesh, like in your own strength, your own, your own capacities, or are you going to rely on the spirit of God to help you? Dealing with relational conflict. Are, are, you, going to, are you going to rely on your own wit to navigate? Or are you going to ask the spirit to do something in your heart? to help you get through this, give you the wisdom, the humility. Now, when we rely on ourselves to navigate through these impossible situations, it's no wonder that we feel drained, frustrated, burned out, because the reality is you are a finite person. You have limits, and it's, you have limits by God's design. We have to remember that we were created beings that were created with limits that God said it is good to have these parameters. That you're not all-knowing. That you don't have all power or energy or skill. God has designed us to experience need on a regular basis. But when we try to ignore the needs that we have or when we try to press through them with our inadequacies, You get fatigued, you get burned out, you get drained, and then there's a lot of destruction in your path. You simply cannot do it all. And if you've gone through this song and dance before, I mean, we know this. Like, I I think we all could intellectually um, agree that if I'm relying on my own strength, there will be times, I mean, it might work well once every, you know, one, one time out of every 100, it might work in my favor. But a lot of the time, most of the time, it's going to bring about challenges, difficulties, sin that I've, I've, I've now got to deal with. When we come to this point where this question is being asked, rely on yourself or rely on Jesus, what is stopping you? What is stopping you from turning to Jesus and asking for help? I think really there's two, two main things. The first one is ignorance. And I don't mean that in like a, a demeaning way. I, I, don't, I don't mean to cut like that. Um, but I mean in ignorance in the sense that you just don't know. You don't understand how mighty Jesus is. You don't understand how capable Jesus is. And so you, you think, man, you have a, basically a small view of God. You have a small view of Jesus. That there's no way he can deliver the needs, the, the supply my needs in this way. It's just too big, too daunting. And so there's this degree of ignorance. I just don't understand how mighty he is. But I think most of the time for Christians, we know that he's mighty. We know that he is able, he's capable, he's competent. But the thing that really stops us most of the time is pride. We, we, we tend to think that I can rely on myself to navigate. I don't want to trouble God. I don't want to, I don't want to fill up his ears with sounding needy. It's like, we just got to get over it, folks. We are needy. You've got so much need. You don't even realize how needy you are. And so pride keeps us from going to the one who can supply every single one of our needs. Now, turning to Jesus and asking doesn't mean that we resign and just take our hands off the wheel. It's not like a Jesus take the wheel moment, right? Like I'm just sitting in the back and there's nothing for me to do. Turning to Jesus does not mean resigning. It is, it is not expecting Jesus to somehow um, 
airdrop everything we need in just one nice care package from heaven um, right into our laps, and then everything goes honky-dory after that. I mean, Jesus can do that, and I've seen examples of that happening where it literally feels like a miracle. The heavens have opened up, and God has dropped this incredible blessing to supply a need. I mean, you, in fact, if you've got time, you should go talk to Joshua Nagao. It was over at Fishers of Men Ministry, and he's got story after story after story how God has shown up and provided for their incredible needs in Kenya, doing uh, discipleship, building schools, orphanages, all these things. It's unbelievable. God has do it. God has done it. He can do it. He will do it in certain circumstances. In fact, we even see in the story of, of Israel, God did it with manna as they were wandering through the desert for those 40 years. The wilderness life. God, every day, God brought manna, literally bread from heaven, dropped down right there into their laps that they would collect it and they would eat it. Now, God can do that, but God doesn't always do that. Oftentimes, God takes what's there God takes the resources that are at your fingertips and he extends them beyond their natural limits. Another example of this is, is in the wilderness as well. When, when they were wandering through, they're walking a long ways. And one of the things that you're told is, as one of, uh, I think as Moses is reflecting on this, talking about how their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes held up. Like for 40 years, that there was not a physical need because God had extended their resources in a way that just naturally doesn't make sense. Now, this a lot of times is what God does. In fact, in my life, in the early years of ministry, when I was living on support, I'd raised a bunch of support, and it's like, how are things going to work out? That, that's a time in my life where I'm really thinking, how are things going to come together? And God, time and time again, just would extend what we had and bless us. Like, we were thinking here, I don't know how this is going to work, but God provided and God does the same to the, in this, this passage. Jesus does the same with this little boy's lunchable. He takes this, this meager little meal and he multiplies it exponentially. We take this, look at this in um, verse 9. There's a little boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? That's, that's Andrew's assessment. Jesus says, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 numbered. Then Jesus took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as, as much as they wanted, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments to make sure nothing's lost. Now, this is incredible. Jesus takes this tiny little meal and feeds thousands of people. There's 5,000 men. You can say there's probably 5,000 other women. And who knows how many kids are running around there. There's a huge assembly of people. And Jesus, with this tiny little meal, multiplies it and extends it far beyond its natural limit. And I don't know why people aren't like, what? You know, like that, that should be our response to this. And oftentimes with these stories, we, we're familiar with them. And so, yeah, we know, of course, Jesus multiplies it. But he'd never do that in my life. Well, here's a reminder. Now, just for a moment, I want you to think from the, the perspective of the little kid. He by no means is the hero of the story, but, but there is something significant to be gained from looking through his, his lens to see what happened. I, I, he is often overlooked in the story. You've got this little boy who's basically the only one who is prepared for this hilltop endeavor. Right? He came ready. Everybody else, they've got empty pockets, and this little boy came ready, and he's got his food for the day, and he's wondering, why do I got to give it up? He's thinking... This is the second thing. 
He's about to make a really big sacrifice. Right? Like the, the, the meal kind of points to the reality. He's probably a poor child. Pretty big deal. It's a huge sacrifice. He, he's putting your livelihood, and who knows, maybe, maybe he would have a meal the next day or, or maybe he'd go a few days before he got to eat that kind of a meal again. Anyway, he's putting his livelihood into the hands of a stranger. And in this moment, what I, I think this is a great act of faith. In this moment, he's taking that he has, that, the thing that he cherishes, the thing that he, he's really dependent upon for himself, and he's putting it into Jesus' hands. And because this little boy stepped out in faith, that he offered it to Jesus, that meager meal ended up feeding thousands. That one small act of faith. I wonder, I wonder what our church would be like if we had that kind of faith. I wonder what our households would look like if we had that kind of faith to, to take what we have, the thing that we cherish, and put it into Jesus' hands and say, do, do with it what you will. What if we did that with our money? Like, not, not just the first fruits, the tithes, which we ought to do that. Like that, that's, that's a, literally an act of worship that, that we bring in our first fruits to God, the things that God has provided for us in our needs. And we say, Lord, we bless you and give it right back. You are the giver of good gifts. Not just with the tithes, but with how we use our other resources as well. So think about how, how, how do I use my dining room table? What would it look like if I gave my dining room table to Jesus to use? What would it look like if I, if I took my, if I entrusted Jesus with my time? You know, we, we've all got, you know, 24 hours in the day and it always feels like it's, the day's too short, there's too much to do. What if instead we, we went to Jesus and said, listen, these are the things that I prioritize in my life, Jesus. Will you show me what, it, what I need to prioritize? Will you show me what, what's going to make the most sense to prioritize from, from an eternal perspective? And you put those, that time in God's hands or our energy. It's like when you, all of us could go through the list of responsibilities. I, I think, and, and say, man, I, I have, a, I've, I only have 100 cubits of energy and I've got a demand for 200. How am I gonna spend this? Jesus, take my energy. Fill me up with yours, right? What would it look like to entrust what we have back to Jesus? And as we do that, we can anticipate Jesus to take what the, the meager, measly little offerings that we've put before him and watch him multiply our resources and our efforts so that the kingdom of heaven would advance here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. But often, I mean, we can say amen to that, and I think we should all. Hearty Amen. But oftentimes, that scarcity mindset of Genesis chapter three kicks in. Well, if I, div, if I, if I give 10% away, how am I gonna know if I'm gonna have enough to pay my bills? Right? If, I, if I give God my calendar, am I gonna have time for the stuff that I want? Like, we have this mentality that, that if I do this, then I am sacrificing in a way that I, I won't see the benefit back. That, that's the scarcity mindset. It, it's, it's, it would look like this. In the case of the little boy, it would be the little boy saying, this is all I have. If I give this to you, I don't eat. 
If that kid were to have thought like we oftentimes do in that scarcity mindset, nobody is eating that day. Nobody's eating. But because I one act of faith, Jesus took it, and in, in his hands, that one small meal becomes something that feeds a multitude. In verse 11, Jesus takes the bread, he breaks it, and he gives thanks. And, and one thing that's really important, I think even, this has reshaped my, the way that I think about our, our dinnertime prayers even within the last month or so, is yeah, we're thanking God for what he's put before us. We're thanking God for the meal, the food that we have, the sustenance that he's provided, the jobs that pay for the grocery store bill that we've, you know, we're, we're thanking God for the provisions, but one of the things that we're thanking God for is for being the God who provides, not just for the things, but the giver of the good gifts. And so we see Jesus going and giving thanks and, and really in his hands, you know, right at this moment, it's just five loaves, two fish. It doesn't look like a lot, but his thanks is directed to God, the God who can multiply, the God who, who fills the earth as he deems fit and pleases him. And Jesus offers what's probably a traditional Jewish prayer that says this, blessed are the, thou, O God. So it's not, not just thanks for the food. Blessed are thou, O Lord our God, the king of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. His prayer is thank you, God, for being the God who provides you've put this bread here in our lap. And then he takes it and he distributes it and he multiplies. And, and this, this meager meal becomes a feast of epic proportions. Thousands and thousands of people get to eat. And, and it's not just a little bit, like because Philip was talking, hey, we might be able to put a morsel of bread on their tongue at best. But these people ate till they were full, as much as they wanted, fish and bread. And then what happens is that there's this incredible surplus like they, Jesus tells his disciples, go, don't let anything go to waste. Go back, pick everything back up, put it in the basket so they have a bunch of baskets full of leftovers after this meal. Now, this whole situation is unbelievable. I, I, I don't think we can even fathom, be, you know, think about going to a concert or something and everybody's like, all the, all the vendors ran out of food and we're gonna stay there for like a whole weekend. Like, what would it be if Jesus got up on stage and <laughs> did that? Like, just unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. And there was a, an even greater degree of glory behind this feat because be, behind this feat stood a, a bunch of Old Testament references. One of the first ones that, that would have come to mind uh, would have been the story of Elijah who had uh, 100 men and they had only a small amount, actually they had barley loaves as well. Small amount of, of this is in 2 Kings chapter four. Small amount of resources, and, and God blessed Elisha the prophet so that he could multiply the food, and everybody fed, and they still had leftovers. So th there's, there's one instance, a prophetic man of God who comes and has a superabundance. But then their response in verse 14 tells us something else that's going on in the back of their mind, something that calls back to De Deuteronomy chapter 18. In verse 14, they say, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, indeed, this, indeed, they said, oh, sorry, man, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses talks about how there's a prophet who is going to come after him who is like him, that is a messenger sent from God. And so they see Jesus and they have this flashback of the prophet Elijah. They have, have Moses and they think this, this man, Jesus is this prophet from God. And in this moment, Jesus is presenting a glorious picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. 
showing God's people that there is a superabundance in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if we understand that the kingdom of heaven has a superabundance and, and the kingdom of heaven is, is here and advancing, though not fully and completely consummated here, but it is in fact here and it's growing and expanding, that means that we, as Christians, get to live into the kingdom of heaven in real time. And the key to kicking the scarcity mindset that we are often dealing with, the key to um, looking at the impossible and still thinking there's hope, there's a way, the key to getting around the resignation mindset is to understand how kingdom economics work. I'm gonna give you a little economics lesson here. Kingdom economics 101, three things to know. The first thing that you need to know, if, if, you are, if you are a Christian and you understand that Jesus has lived and died, he's given you a new life, now you are a child of God and you, you are part of the kingdom of heaven, part of God's family, first thing that we need to know is that God provides. We need to understand where our things come from and, and like where they really come from. Because a lot of times, um, you hear people in, in their pride say, I've built a good life for myself. I went to the right schools. I worked hard. I studied. I graduated. I got a good job. I got an even better job. I'm making buku bucks, right? I've built a life for myself. And it looks like they are the ones that have, have moved themselves up the chain. But in reality, every good gift comes from the Father. Everything that you have. Sure, you may have worked, you may have gotten a paycheck, which then allows you, but who gave you the energy? Who gave, who gave you the strength? Who gave you the skills? Or the, even the ability to cognitively know what good work looks like? It all comes from God. The first thing that we need to know about kingdom economics is that God provides. Literally this moment, as Jesus is sitting on the hillside with his thousands of his friends, is, is a literal answer to the Lord's Prayer where we are taught in Matthew chapter six to ask for our daily bread. And we even sang about it this morning. In Matthew chapter six, the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. And right here, Jesus is delivering the daily bread in a literal way. Now, Jesus, this, this prayer is not just for the disciples, not just for the people who are on the hillside. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray this way so that we would learn that prayer, but then also that we would learn to trust in that way where we are relying on God for our daily provisions. Again, this is not a, a passive thing where we're just waiting for the welfare check to drop into our account. We're, we're not waiting for that care package to fall from heaven. We are using our agency and skills and abilities as God has given us, but we are ultimately relying upon the Lord for his provision. We are resting in the fact that just as Jesus saw the crowds coming up to him and he, and he felt the sense of responsibility for them, he said, how are we gonna feed them? God, your father, looks at heaven and sees you and your needs and he is eager to meet them. 
He's attentive to your needs. In fact, if we jump to Matthew 6, it's so crazy that the Lord's Prayer is, is right there in Matthew chapter 6. And, and then um, later on, it talks about being anxious because really the Lord's Prayer, if we're really praying it and believing it, the Spirit's doing our work in our heart, one of the things that, that our lives will be marked by is a lack of anxiety. Instead of anxiety, peace and trust in the Lord and his provisions. Now, Matthew 6 gives us, an, it really pushes on this, and I don't think I have this up on the screen today, um, but, but let me read it to you. Jesus, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, look at the birds. Look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow, then thrown out in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He sees it. He knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. See, when we understand that God provides, that God is attentive, that God sees us in our needs, it calms our anxieties. It keeps us from the toil, from spinning out, from, from being in this constant state of worry of how is this going to come together? That's the first thing. Lesson number one in KE 101. Number two, my stuff in Jesus' hands is better than my stuff in my own hands. My stuff in Jesus' hands is better than my stuff in my own hands. If this kid had a little Lunchable, but in Jesus' hands it feeds thousands, imagine what else God will do with your stuff. Imagine what else God can do with your energy and time and resources. Imagine what kind of multiplication effect can happen with tithes. And, and you just think about this. Throughout the history of the church, God has taken 10% of people's wealth and more and multiplied this into a worldwide expansion of the kingdom of God. He's taken the small amounts that at times people look at, how is this going to con contribute to anything? And God has taken it and multiplied it in ways that you can't even fathom. What, what kind of effect would, would Jesus have if I were to give my resources into his hands, my table, my home, to use my car? Let that, you know, and I'm not saying like literally sign the title over to Jesus, but think of it as if it is Jesus. Like if this belonged to Jesus, how would he want me to use it? Even, even your time in missional community. Now, we, we get together on a weekly basis for missional community. It's like two and a half hours a week. 
share a meal, we pray together, we're doing some kind of study, we're reading the Bible, we're, we're doing some curriculum, we're sermon discussion, something of that nature. And a lot of times, it's such a, I mean, it might seem significant in the week, but over time, it's just a small drop in the bucket. But, but just think of what God could do with that two and a half hours every week. Think of, think of the discipleship that can occur if we were to entrust that time to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you take this and do something mighty with it? Like literally ask him to move mountains, right, in people's lives. Or even on church, on Sundays, coming in here and saying, Lord, man, I'm beat up, I'm tired, I've had a long week, I'm ready for a nap here this afternoon. I'm giving you this time. Would you take it and multiply it? Would you make it extend beyond its natural limits? But too often, again, the scarcity mindset pops back up, but we're, we're too scared to give those things over to Jesus. If I put that in Jesus' hands, will God take care of me then? Will, will I be left high and dry? Will he just leave me out? This brings us to the third point. Number one, God provides. Number two, my stuff in Jesus' hands is better than my own stuff in my own hands. Number three, God isn't stingy. God isn't stingy. A lot of us, I don't know, I think if we were to assess our prayer lives, we would maybe come to the conclusion that we think that on a subconscious level. We think, man, I don't want to bother God with this, and so we don't ask. But God isn't stingy. And we see this in the fact that this little boy who gives his one meal, he gives it over to Jesus and he receives far more than he gave. He gives a little, gets back a lot. Now this reminds me of something that Jesus says in, in John, or excuse me, in Luke 6. So we've had Matthew 6, John 6, Luke 6, knocking out all of the sixes. In Luke 6, Jesus says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure which you use, it will be measured back to you. This little boy, he sacrificed his meal, and Jesus took it, and he multiplied. The generosity of God is put on full display. Not only is this little boy now full, way more full than his five loaves and fish, uh, two fish could have made him, I mean, he ate his fill, and then so did a bunch of other people. And all of this testifies to God's goodness and generosity and the superabundance which God has and which he can bless lavishly. If we can keep these three things in mind, that God provides, that my stuff in Jesus' hands is better than my stuff in my own hands, and that God isn't stingy, just think of how that breaks the scarcity mindset. That frees us from, from thinking, man, these ends won't meet. Instead, turning to Jesus and asking him to come through in ways that we could never deliver in ourselves. But let me just be very clear about something. Knowing these three principles, even living out these three principles, um, though it is a piece of kingdom living, like it demonstrates that we, we understand that the kingdom of heaven is here and it's advancing and we're part up in it, but these three principles in and of themselves can't turn an anxious person into a peaceful person. These principles, principles can't do that. 
Principles cannot in themselves take a stingy person and turn them into a generous person, a fretting person into a, a content person. You, and this is, this is part of the lies of the secular age that we live in. You cannot Jedi mind trick yourself into that kind of a life. It requires a heart change. To go from anxious to peaceful, to go from stingy to generous, to go from fretful to content requires a legitimate heart change. Like, such a thorough heart change that it's as if the heart of stone is removed and a heart of flesh now gets placed in your chest. And the only way that your heart truly changes is when you see Jesus rightly. The only way your heart will change is when you see Jesus for who they see Jesus as the prophet. They're right to see that. And if we were to keep reading in verse 15, we'd see that they also think he's a king. They're right to think that. Yes, Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is a king. But it goes even further than what they expect, beyond, beyond what they expect. So Jesus is the prophet, is like Moses, who's been sent from God in Deuteronomy 18. But, but not only does he speak of the kingdom of heaven, not only does he speak of truth, Jesus shows what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's not just word, but in power. Jesus shows these people the kingdom of heaven. And not only does Jesus talk about and show the kingdom of heaven, Jesus grants entry into the kingdom of heaven to those who turn from their self-sufficiency, those who, who turn from self-reliance and turn to relying on Christ for every need, especially their need for justification, especially their need for forgiveness, especially their need for regeneration. Jesus grants entry into the kingdom, not just in giving bread, but by being bread himself. Jesus will go on later say that, that he himself is the bread of life. And the way that Jesus grants us entry in the kingdom is that his body becomes broken. His body is broken to fill our spiritual hunger. In the midst of our lack, Jesus shows that he is sufficient. He lived the life that we couldn't live, not relying on his own strength, but relying on, the, on, on God. In fact, one of the last things he just got done talking about in John 5 was how he doesn't do anything unless he sees the Father doing it. He's relying on the Father. And what we see in Jesus is the superabundance of God. The work of redemption the work of bringing back the superabundance of, uh, uh, that, that Adam and Eve got to experience in, in Eden, Jesus brings it back. The superabundance, it's, it's, it's unfolding here before us. And the superabundance specifically of, of filling our deepest need for forgiveness. See, Jesus... Jesus, like the 12 baskets that are stacked up of leftovers, Jesus has more grace than what we need. Jesus is more full than we are empty. His mercy is more. 
And only when we see God's radical provision in Jesus, in the most pressing need that we have, will we learn to trust Jesus with every other thing in our life. Only when you see what he's done on the cross, that his body was broken so that you could find life in his name, then you can trust him in the ch- with the checkbook and with your home and with your kids and all of the other aspects of life. As this, we come to the table this morning, this, this table reminds us that our trust in the Lord wavers. This week, we have often drifted into self-reliance, self-autonomy, thinking, I can do it. I don't need, I don't need God. I can do it. I can do it. And this, this meal shows us what happens if you live that way. You break. You break. Your life breaks down. It falls apart. But this meal testifies that your life doesn't have to break down because Jesus, his body was broken in your place. His blood was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And so it testifies us. It reminds us that we have wavered in our faith this week, but Jesus has not. Jesus has remained faithful and will continue to be faithful as he forgives our sins and empowers us by the Spirit. As we take this meal in, Jesus fills us up in a spiritual way. And and through this meal, through the supernatural power of God at work in the church, this is what God does. He takes the measly, meager people like you and me, and he works through us to advance his kingdom. He multiplies our resources, our efforts, our energies for the sake of kingdom advance so that more people would come to know the Jesus who loves like this, who lays his his life down for sinners. Christians, let us come to the table this morning and be grateful for the provisions that God has made for us. If you're not a Christian, I wanna invite you to refrain from the table and look to Christ. Every need that you have, Jesus can supply. Turn to him. See what he has done for you and believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a generous God and your generosity pours out over and above what we can fathom. And I pray, Lord, that that we would learn to live um, within your kingdom right here, right now in real time, understanding your provision, understanding that resources in Jesus' hand are far greater than resources in my own hand, and knowing that you're not stingy, that you have a desire to bless your people. Help us, Lord, to to leave behind the scarcity mindset, the, the doubter beliefs that tell us, oh, God probably won't do that. Help us to see that you are, in fact, a mighty God, If you can defeat sin, the power of sin, death, and the grave, there's nothing that you cannot do. With man, there are limits, but with God, there's no impossibilities. We thank you for your work. We thank you for what you've done, and Lord, we know that your work continues to advance as the kingdom of heaven comes and advances here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, use us to be part of that for your glory and for the joy of all people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 